Hey everyone, it's Chris and Chels. It's Advent 2023, and we're so excited to be doing this again with y'all. No matter where you're at this Christmas season, we're just glad you're joining us here. At the end of the day, if we're being honest, we are broken people. In a broken world, there's no getting around that. We may experience this brokenness in different ways, but one thing rings true. If we aren't open and honest about our brokenness, it will control us, enslave us. So our mission at Since You're Here is to have the difficult, honest conversations that we aren't having, but should be. We believe that it's only through being transparent and unscripted about our brokenness and authentic community that real healing can begin and God's grace can shine forth. Thanks for tuning in and doing life with us. We're really glad you're here. Somehow more would I have to start Yeah, I've got spare So guys, thanks for tuning in. We're really glad that you are joining us for another Advent session. I can't believe it's been a year since our last one, but we're so glad that you are still listening to us. Something Chelsea and I were talking about as we were preparing for, you know, what are we gonna talk about for this year's Advent? And we thought about, okay, what does, what does Advent actually mean? Because, you know, we talk about it a lot. The first time I heard it was Advent calendars as a kid where you, you know, pull chocolates out of a little cardboard thing that may or may not stand up until December 25th. But the word Advent, what does it really mean? What does it connotate? We did some searching. So the noun Advent actually just means the arrival of a notable person, a thing or event, a coming. And something that really stuck out to us is that Advent is the coming of Christ, but it's not just the coming of Christ. It's also a time to look forward to the second advent of Christ because he didn't just come once to leave us to our own devices. He, he came once with a promise to, to bring us back, once to win us, and then uh, he'll come back one more time to, uh, to seal uh, the deal uh, once and for all. And so that is kind of how we were framing our, our outlook on advent this season. It hit kind of like a, I don't know, it hit me in the face, like a realization I always reflect on Christmas about if you're thinking in the terms of the book of Luke, you know, love came down and God gave us his son to, you know, grow into a man and eventually die for us and for our sins. But I've never really looked onward towards the Advent season with this posture of Christ is going to come again. I've never reflected in that way. But it brings a whole new level of excitement. I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, I agree. And how we celebrate Advent, we want to look, be looking forward to the next Advent too. We don't just want this to be about a baby Jesus, you know. We want the celebration of Jesus coming down to be about the full coming, both comings, that he's going to kind of bookend history with. So Chelsea, how do you feel like for your personal celebration of Christmas, how does this concept of Advent really tie into how you celebrate I think for me, it's a big reminder to point myself into a position of being very prayerful and gives me the opportunity to just reflect not only on the year, but in my walk with Christ and what that is looking like. It's kind of a reminder for me to give thanks and glory to God for just for sending his love down to us. And then, of course, this you know new excitement thinking towards that anticipation of Christ's second coming. For me, though, with the whole celebration part, I think more than celebrating, it's also convicting because 
you know, after we started planning for this, I started just asking myself a bunch of questions. Hmm. I was like, you know, is my day-to-day life actually pleasing to the Lord? Am I really being intentional and sharing my love for Christ with the people around me? Or am I just being fake? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's hard because I feel like this is a time of year where we really have that time to reflect on Jesus. And are we actually living for him, sold out for him? Um, because mm. a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this too, right? That we, uh, we just kind of get caught in this rut of like, okay, you know, yes, Jesus died for me. And the gospel kind of becomes this thing in the background, but it's no longer that vibrant thing that brings color to our lives and makes us excited um, because we kind of forget how important the gospel is. We kind of forget that we need it. Yeah. And living in the kind of society that we do, it's almost like this agenda and in a whole lifespan of knowing exactly what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day after that and work and other things get in the way or extracurricular activities, you know, even church, it's a very uh, consistent thing for mm-hmm. some people. And it just kind of becomes a part of like going through the motions. Yeah. And then that revival feeling is just kind of like on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's easy to, lose sight of the beauty of Christmas. And we want to be living in, in a kind of anticipation, right? For this next coming of Christ, this next advent that's gonna come while we remember the original advent and why Jesus did come. So what do you think, Chels? For you, what does living in anticipation look like? Mm, when I think about living in anticipation for, for Christ's return, I immediately think about my responsibility to witness to others. I have to sit there and admit before God my thoughts and my actions and acknowledge the ways that I could be more Christ-like. I think it's easy to keep my faith in a shell and be content with the world around me because, you know, I'm sure of where my hope is and then, you know, find myself sitting around shaking my head almost in distaste of those who are not aligned from a spiritual perspective, or maybe they don't think along the same lines as I do. But living in anticipation, I realize, is more than just watching the world collapse and waiting for the clock to run out and looking for signs of the times, waiting for the trumpets to sound and for Jesus to arrive. You know, as a believer, I should be extending the love and hope that I have received so that others can have the opportunity to experience the same. I've started asking myself, am I living, like, am I truly living a life that loves lost people? Am I steering clear from brokenness for my own convenience or am I welcoming it so that people can actually experience redemption through that? Like, what are we doing to center our attention on God and bringing glory to his name? Lately, I've been thinking, you know, with everything going on, why, why would Jesus delay his return now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you really think about it, Jesus wants as many people as possible to escape his judgment. He's a loving God. He wants everybody to be with him and be in his presence and experience his love and forgiveness. And so sometimes I'm like, you know, what if, what if God's delaying his plan for a new world? Because... There are people out there that need an opportunity to be included in it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we are that opportunity because 
we are the vessels that God has placed here for a purpose. And that really is, it circles right back around to going out and being disciples. Yeah. But we just don't, we don't look at it the same way. <laughs> like when you're reading the Bible and you're sitting and you're like, man, these people, they don't even have day jobs. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like walk out of their huts and go <laughs> on hikes and find all these, you know, random people and tell them about Jesus. Oh, like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Not, not in this economy, <laughs> but, but it's true. It, it really puts you in your place Yeah. and really gets you thinking about, you know, for me, where is my heart at? Mm-hmm. Am I really being intentional with this? How many people have I passed today that needed to hear that good news? And maybe I was given the opportunity and I just kind of let it slide. Mm. or talking about my faith wasn't even a part of my day mm-hmm. or how to even work that kind of thing in, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel that. And especially in, in our Western culture is that temptation to, you know, have that privatized religion. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus works for me. That doesn't mean he wor- work for you. So I'm just going to keep my religion to myself and, and have people can believe what they want to believe. But if we do take Jesus seriously at his word, and if we believe the gospel, that he is the way, the truth, and life, the only way back to a loving father, then, you know, we're going to want to share that. And, and what's interesting is I was thinking about these questions as we're preparing and we're asking ourselves, okay, like, are we excited to share the gospel with other people? And what caught me was the word excited because, I mean, sharing the gospel is hard work. Building relationships is hard work. And, you know, we're all tired from all walks of life, all the obligations and responsibilities that we have were worn out. So to say like, okay, like, are we excited to share? And I think what's interesting to note is that sometimes we might not feel like doing it, but I think a question I try to ask myself is like, okay, the question's not, does this feel good? Or is this going to be convenient? Is it going to be hard those questions don't necessarily matter but what matters is okay is it is this the right time you know in in my relationship with this person and then you know better yet is it is it worth it and i think in our efforts to to spread the gospel yeah that's going to look different for each person each friendship and relationship that we have but if we fully understand the gospel and what jesus did for us in this first advent we'll always answer yes it's worth it because sometimes I feel like we don't get excited about the gospel because we've forgotten how much God loves us, you know, how he really did come down, how he didn't give a crap about the mistakes that we'd made or the, you know, the sinners that we are, but he came down and gave his whole self so that we could be washed clean, so that we could know that we have a home with him and he fully sees us in our brokenness and he still loves us and wants us back. And I think if we just sit in that stillness and remember the gospel, that it, it, it will start to stir our hearts again um, to have those feelings of excitement of like, oh, I want, I want so-and-so to know that too. Right, because those, I mean, that's a commandment. Love your neighbor, love, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, when I think about that, oh, if I love my neighbor, like if I love these people around me, what's holding me back? I mean, there is absolutely, I I do believe there is a right place and a right time for that, which could be a whole other conversation in itself. 
Yeah. However, it, it's true. I, I want that for them. I want to give them the opportunity to experience the same hope and assurance that I have and that same feeling of love. And every day that goes by that I know the opportunities are there and I withhold from that or withhold from having that conversation or even just in my own actions, showing my love, being the example of Christ without using my words, that's not necessarily another day wasted, but it's another missed opportunity for someone to experience something really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Jesus says that people will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. And so there is this, like you're saying, to this extent that we start without words and we love people and you know, and then we, we, we build trust with them and, and we're able to share the hope that we have as Peter commands. And I think sometimes, depending on what personality type you are, we can teeter on either one extreme or the other extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Like some people, you know, I, I forget who it was, I think it was a, a Catholic priest or, or someone who said, share Christ everywhere you go and if necessary, use words. Yes, I have heard that. <laughs> so. Here, there's one extreme, right? Where just go and be a good person and love people and people will come to Christ. But we know that that's not fully true, right? Because there's a lot of nice people in the world, but we don't necessarily know or understand the hope that they might have because they're not using words and articulating it. Right. Then on the other hand, you know, we have well-intentioned, loving Christians, maybe those preachers on the street, and sometimes they're not relational in any way. And they are just almost like cold calling you to come back to God. But there isn't that relational aspect. There isn't that love. And sometimes, you know, they're saying like people don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. And so Jesus is always connected with the love, his love. And they kind of have to go hand in hand. And so it's hard, but that's kind of what Jesus calls us to do, right? Go out and love and share. We don't get the option to just pick and choose which one we do. Absolutely. And I know we had talked about this briefly before recording, but talking about meeting people where they're at and that just opens the door and allows for God to work in all kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the prime examples I think from Jesus's ministry is the story of Zacchaeus. And he goes and he, you know, he doesn't outright correct Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector robbing from the Jewish people siding with Rome, who unfairly took over Israel. And he's hated by the masses, yet Jesus walks by, sees him, and calls him out and invites himself over to dinner. And, I mean, the gospel orders don't say explicitly, you know, what Jesus talked about with Zacchaeus. But you'd think if he spent the whole time correcting him that maybe the gospel writer would have put that in there, but he didn't. But we just see Zacchaeus saying yes to Jesus' invitation and Jesus just showing this man love that he doesn't deserve and going to his house and eating with him. And I'm sure they exchanged words, but you know, midway through Zacchaeus just stands up and he's like, I'm, I'm going to give back everything I stole and then some. And Jesus is like, okay, this guy has entered the kingdom of heaven. And we see how Jesus's love, his grace and his truth kind of come together, right? He, uh, Zacchaeus uh, realized the truth through Jesus's love and through Jesus's presence and, and, you know, potentially accountability, right? That he, that he, uh, 
that he stirs in Zacchaeus' heart what the right thing to do is and how he falls short. I'm sure in their dinner conversation, Jesus called out Zacchaeus in a loving way, just as he does the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, but it's always done hand in hand with his grace, his invitation to be forgiven. As I've heard it put, Jesus always meets us where we're at, but then refuses to leave us there. But he doesn't just stand, look up at Zacchaeus in the tree, call him out, and then keep walking. And so I think that's a really cool picture of how we can be little Christs to the people around us and, and, and use that as a way to remember Advent number one and look forward to the hope of Advent number two. Something you said stood out to me, the word <coughs> invitation. It just kind of seems like a crazy thing. And even to bring that down to our level and our role in God's story for our lives and the world around us, just the fact that out of every religion that there is, Christianity is the only one where it's a free gift and you don't have to earn your way through the ranks. Yeah. Because, you know, even those who worship idols normally find themselves preparing in certain levels of ways. Things have to be set in a certain way. They have to be dressed a certain way, Mm -hmm. come prepared a certain way. And that's true for lots of different religions, but we don't have to do that to meet God. We don't have to have it together. We don't, we don't have to fix ourselves or even act a certain way. Now, you know, whenever we receive that invitation, there are things that change about us and mm-hmm. our, our heart changes. So things about us do change, but it's not because we did anything to earn that. Mm. And so, even as we're sharing the love of Christ with other people, we're inviting them, you know. Yeah, to come along with us. It's not a a sorority where you have to pay your dues, right? (laughs) Right. But what you're talking about, about kind of this picture of us like walking along, those who know Jesus and like inviting more people to come along with us. There's There's this imagery that Paul uses in one of his letters, and he's talking about following Christ in triumphant procession. And he's writing in this Roman context where a triumphant procession would be when Rome conquered another city or another people. And in that conquered land, uh, the Romans would have this big parade, essentially, and this victory parade. And they would walk through and they would look at the new land they'd conquered and everyone would get in and it would happen, you know, If you were in that area, maybe once in a lifetime, you would see this huge celebration. And I mean, it was terrible probably for the conquered people, but for the Romans, it was, you know, amazing. It was a huge thing. And so Paul, knowing his readers are familiar with this, says that we as Christ followers are following Christ in his triumphant procession, Hmm. meaning Jesus has destroyed the biggest enemy, sin and death. And so, you know, death, you know, it's sad, but it's not scary anymore because it's lost its sting. And so we can, in this life, walk through life in triumphant procession, in victory, and reach out to people that were passing by saying, hey, Jesus has already won. Come with us. Join us in this parade. And I love that imagery. And it's almost like Jesus is walking us from Advent number one in triumphant procession to Advent number two when he finally comes back. And, 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 and that's realized. I love that. I love that. For you, 
what does that look like? How do you see us living out this anticipation? I'll return the question. Well, for me, I think a lot of Christians talk about the end times a lot, especially now. But I mean, if we look in the Bible, people have been talking about the end times since Jesus, uh, since Jesus rose again. But for me, that's never been something I've been too focused on because I know that Jesus says that he's going to come one day unexpectedly like a thief in the night. No one's going to know the day or the hour, but he tells the disciples again and again, be, be on guard, be vigilant because you don't know when I'm coming and we need to have the house in order for when the master comes back. And so I guess for me, living in anticipation looks like every day, just the relationships that God has blessed me with, the interactions that I have during that day, the work I do, the effort I put in. I endeavor for all of it to be in honor of Jesus, to point people to Jesus. And when I realize in my prayer time or, or talking with people that I've screwed up, that I have done things that maybe dissuade people from wanting to follow Christ, that I try as best as possible that I can to rectify those things and, and to repent. Because I think one of the most powerful testimonies to Jesus is the ability of his followers to repent and admit when they're wrong. Because we're all wrong. That's not a surprise. That shouldn't be something we hide in shame when we mess up. Because we're all sinners. You know, that's the gospel. But what sets us apart, I think, from, you know, maybe people that don't know Jesus in that intimate way is that we know that, that we're forgiven. And, you know, if we acknowledge and surrender to him, that's in his past. And it, it doesn't hold us down anymore. And we can freely admit when we're wrong because that's not where our worth is tied. Our worth is tied to a God who loves us and who died for us. And so I think that's one of the most powerful testimonies. So for me, when I live in anticipation, I'm thinking, okay, I want everything that I do to point to Jesus. And when I mess up, I want to point to the God who forgives and who allows me to freely admit when I'm wrong because it's not dependent upon what I've done. It's dependent on what Jesus has done. Right, absolutely. Chelsea, I know something we talked about, uh, or at least we talked about in the past, right? Prayer in our time with, with the Lord is something that is, you know, essential to our Christian walk and just opening our hearts before him. So in this season of anticipation, what does it look like for you to sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit at church during the week and pray and study and let him minister to you? I would say not just in this season, I would apply this to all seasons. I think in this season, it tugs on my heart a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more of an awareness. A lot of it could be because of the way that our culture brings about Christmas. It's just in your face, <laughs> so you can't exactly avoid it. But communion with God, for me, looks like really trying to intentionally set time aside mm -hmm. on a daily basis, cut off all distractions, change it up. Like it could be in my house, it could be in my car. I don't exactly have the most consistent routine. And so creating space for the Lord is something that he had not only convicted me about, but making it a priority that I think about when I wake up instead of trying to plan my Jesus time around my day. Mm -hmm. I now have to reframe that and think, how do I plan my day around this time? Do I have to wake up earlier? And sometimes, sometimes it looks like a lot of prayer or just 
being mm-hmm. present. I don't wake up every single day with the spirit of like, oh yeah, let's dive in. I can't wait to read the Bible today. You know, like it's not, realistically, it's not like that. Yeah. Some days I spend more time in the Word. Some days I spend more time listening to worship music. But I think for me personally, the most intimate time that I'm able to have with the Lord is when I'm just sitting by myself in total silence. Mm. And journaling, listening, praying, asking God to bring things to my attention that he's trying to get my attention for. Mm-hmm. Now that's really, that's really good. I feel for me, especially in this season, silence has been really good. I kind of go through different seasons where I'm like, oh, sometimes I'll listen to classical music while I like journal and pray and, and read. But for me, like in this season, I, silence has been really good for me too, um, to just like hear that still small voice of the spirit. And I've been going on walks around my neighborhood too, in silence. And that's been a really cool time to just restart. I feel like sometimes our routines become routines and they lose their novelty and we start to look at them as less than supernatural communion with the God of the universe, right? And it becomes a routine, just like pouring your bowl of cereal or sweeping the floor. And so sometimes it's necessary to switch it up so that you don't fall into that disillusionment that it's just another chore. Right. And I think it's good too, if we're talking about Advent in particular, the idea of silence seems so obscure because if anything, this is probably the most chaotic season and the most chaotic time of the year in Western culture because Mm -hmm. Christmas is very consumerized and there's a lot of stress that goes into wrapping gifts and attending social gatherings and having family over. And so the most important thing for me, like you, in this season has really been the quietness and just the stillness because it's really, really hard to hear the Lord. It's really hard to experience what He has for you and what He can provide for you whenever our outside world and our brains are just filled with distraction and chaos. Yeah, that's so, so true. I just finished listening on audiobook to Fahrenheit 451. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but like in, in this kind of dystopian world where there's no books, like books are outlawed and everyone has giant TV screens on every single wall of their house and they're always up on the max volume. And when they go for drives, the cars go like 100 miles an hour. And what, you know, the protagonist starts to realize is society is not giving anyone time to really think and reflect and self-reflect because they feel like it's too much for humanity to handle the realities of, of life. And But if we're always driving too fast, we don't have time to think about anything but the experience. If we're always listening to music or if we're always watching TV or if we're always consuming, then we don't actually have time to sit and reflect and be uncomfortable with who we are, with where we're at. I don't know for you, but a lot of times like the start of my silence kind of looks like God just slowly showing me like, you know, hey, like this is... This is who I am, and this is who you are. And it's kind of this 
this gentle conviction sometimes of like, you know, you, you really shouldn't be doing that or look what I've called you into and look how you're running from that. And it's, uh, at first it's uncomfortable and, and terrifying, but at the same time, letting Jesus in, it's also comforting because he doesn't care how much I've messed up. All he cares is that I'm right there in that moment asking him, okay, where do you want me? What's next? And if necessary, I'm sorry, you know? And that he cares about that relationship. So yeah, I like what you said about silence. It's so important. Speaking of that, I can definitely assert that my Christmas Day traditions have never been like that. And not in a bad way. I really enjoy spending my time with family. But having reflected on all of this just in the conversation we've been having, I think one of my goals this Advent season is to just be more aware of the Lord's presence and everything that's going on. Mm. And when Christmas Day rolls around, I feel like that's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that if anything, and all my energy is drained out from everything else given the holiday season, like I just want to rest in that and really take the time out to give thanks and worship and just be present for that because it's going to look messy. Yeah, that's good. I mean, what's funny is the biggest present of Christmas is Jesus's presence. And the coolest thing about Jesus's presence is that all he requires of us is our presence. He doesn't require it to be clean or neat or put together or understandable. He just says, hey, I'm here to give you life and life to the fullest. And if you're willing to let go of your old life, I'm willing to give you mine. And he really did give us his life. All right, so for our final question, since you're here, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Easy. Definitely Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay. 100% favorite. Solid. Solid. Yeah. Why, why the Charlie Brown Christmas? Well, it's cute, first of all. Mm-hmm. I like it because it's a classic, but really I like it because of the meaning. Mm-hmm. I love watching everybody around Charlie Brown freaking out about making the perfect Christmas play and having the perfect decorations and the <laughs> lights and all this stuff. And Charlie Brown is getting frustrated with every single person up in there because like they're after all of the things that just don't matter. And I actually have a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree in my house now, thanks to my dad, because I love that part in the movie where he literally goes out and he sees all these beautiful, bright and pretty trees. And out of all of them, he picks this little shabby looking one (laughs) and wraps Linus's blanket around it. And I can't remember the exact line that he says, but it, it was something along the lines of, there you know got to give this tree some love Mm -hmm. and brought it back and people were like you're kidding me (laughs) but whenever it boiled down to the whole meaning of christmas and it boils down to how christ came down in the form of love to be our king but in the most shabby of places Mm -hmm. so christopher what's your favorite christmas movie well you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas is always out there, but since you already said that, I'm going to go with uh, with another one of my favorites, which is the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas cartoon. Oh, that one's so good. Yeah. 
it's funny because I was talking about it with some friends earlier this year, and they were talking about how how Max the dog was so abused in that one, and I was like, I don't remember that growing up as a kid. Like, you know, Max seemed fine, and we put it in and watched it, and sure enough, like every interaction with Max is like <laughs> this super toxic poor guy. That was something I didn't notice as a child, but. What I love about that Grinch, as opposed to maybe the other iterations of the Grinch, is that I feel like there is this unspoken, you know, gospel message here. Like, we have the Grinch who who hates Christmas, who thinks it's all just about the presents and about people being happy. And he's not included, so he doesn't want anyone to kind of have that. So he'd rather see people sad. So he, you know, steals all the presents. And the Who's down in Whoville, who like Christmas a lot, are still singing, even when they don't have any any presents. And he's so confused, and he doesn't understand it. And, you know, even though it's not explicitly in there, in my heart, I've always thought that Dr. Seuss probably, you know, had the Who's singing, you know, maybe praises or worship songs, right? To, uh, to Jesus, and that's why it didn't really matter whether they had the presents or whether they didn't. And when he realizes that it's about something more, he has this heart change. And mm. what's interesting is that, you know, at the beginning of the story, they say that the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. But when he recognizes the meaning of Christmas, his heart doesn't just grow two sizes, it grows three sizes. And I feel like that's such a cool picture of what Jesus does to us when, when we let him in, when we are standing in the cold snow of our sin all alone on our mountain of selfishness and realize I'm not everything I thought and maybe there is something more to life. And when we let Jesus in, he exceeds, you know, even what we needed and uh, just turns the Grinch's life around. So for me, that's always a really cool reminder of what Christmas is all about. That's great. I have thought about it like that, but not that in depth. That's that's good. I could totally see how that message paints out. Yeah, well, I, I've I've seen that cartoon a few too many times as a kid, so it's had some time to ruminate over the years. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Well, yeah, thanks for this conversation, and uh, to all you listening, thank you so much for for joining us for Advent 2023. We hope you have a wonderful Advent celebrating the birth of our Savior and His coming in the future. We love you guys. Merry Christmas. We will see y'all in 2024. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to our Advent 2023 special. If you liked our content, please subscribe and share. And if there are any difficult topics that you'd like us to address in future episodes, please email us at sincereherepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you're interested to delve more into the theology found in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, check out the link in the episode description. See you next year. From my last broken heart Somehow more would I have to start Yeah, I've got spare 